0: Well, well, well. Welcome to 2015. It's the Strange and Deadly Show. We're back again. Uh, Yes, I know we're a couple of weeks late. It's now almost the end of January, so technically you've been introduced to 2015 for several weeks. But um, hey, we're here. We're barely alive. Let me tell you the truth, guys. Uh, The reason we're so late is because Tom got very drunk on New Year's Eve and he fell into a drunken stupor. And if I'm correct, uh, Tom, you were uh, catatonic for a couple of weeks, weren't you? Catatonic
1: for a couple of weeks, yeah, I was.
0: Yeah, you've been at the sherry again, haven't you? (laughs) They've got to keep you away from the liquor cabinet, Tom, because uh, I don't trust you around anything that can be used as a solvent. Um, (laughs) It's a a deadly combination, you and alcohol. But um, yes, we're here. My name is Chris Clayson. Of course, you all know me. You love to hate me out there. I am also known as the Gore Boy from the Gore Boy radio show that I did many, many years ago, which is coming back. And I'll tell you more about that at the end of the show. I am joined by my ever faithful co-host. He's a lovable man, the man with the velvety, smooth voice. Who are you, sir?
1: This is Tom Elliott. And it's good to be back longer, longer than we thought, you know, and uh, it's good to be back in the saddle. Looking forward to it.
0: It really is, and uh, I think we've both kind of missed doing this, haven't we, really?
1: We did, yeah. You know, Christmas can be a busy time, and uh, we didn't plan it this way, but um, like I say, good to come back to, and we've got a quite unusual mix today.
0: Mm, we absolutely have. Uh, just to explain, uh, we Tom wasn't really in a drunken stupor. We were just busy. Uh, And we certainly weren't trying to avoid doing the show again because it's something we really love to do. And it seems like you guys love it too. Um, I think you're going to enjoy this particular show. Like uh, Tom said, it's an unusual mix of films that you might say differ quite a bit in terms of quality. Uh, Tom, do you want to tell uh, everybody what the films are this week and what the theme is?
1: Our theme this time round is alien films and two alien films with quite a, a horrific... Um, edge to them you know they are sci-fi horror I think Mm -hmm. you could classify them as they both have quite recognizable monsters in them I suppose you could say but that's probably where the similarities end because they are quite different but that's the fun of it you know that this section three list you never know what you're going to get
0: yes that's right and I have to say Looking at these two films, trying to find things in common with each other, if we can do that, Uh, both films, I think, at least, at the very least, show the effectiveness of practical special effects, I think.
1: I suppose it's interesting in that you get an idea of what was going on on each different side of the pond. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure the Brits really come off too well when we look at it that way, but... You know, there, w- there was no British film industry really at that time. It was sort of on its last legs, uh, but the Americans were going strong. So, it's all it's all part of the fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, this was post Hammer, I believe. I think Hammer was long gone by this point. So, you're absolutely right. You know, Britain wasn't known for making great horror movies in the '80s. I would say, uh, but the Americans were were. We're doing it and doing it proudly. You know, you had, I mean, we're covering an Alien theme here. Of course, there was, you know, Alien in the in the late 70s and then Aliens, which is one of my favourite films of all time. Uh, yeah, the Americans, I think, had this market pretty well cornered, didn't they?
1: What's quite interesting, I don't know whether we're sort of crossing over into extra tour here or not, but mm-hmm. it's quite interesting that someone was still having a go, you know, because what year was the thing out? Was 1982. That- so they they're both the same year, right?
0: In the UK, uh, according to what I've read, of course, you know, you have to take IMDb with a pinch of salt sometimes and Wikipedia, but according to what I've read, um Extro came out in the UK in 1982 mm. and in America in 1983. So, but I guess you you would count if it came out first in the UK 1982, that's its release date, isn't it, effectively. So, um Yeah. So yeah, the same year.
1: Yeah, but you know, like you say we'd we'd already had Alien and the fact that people were still picking up the camera who couldn't even hold a candle to that in terms of the, the sort of resources they had, I quite like that, you know. But whether they're successful at it, we will, uh, we will get down to that. Well,
0: we're going to find out, Tom, because I'm going to read the synopsis for a little film called Extro which was released, as we said, in 1982, uh, directed by Harry Bromley Davenport, which is a very British name, isn't it? Mm. Uh, Written by Harry. Uh, Also, uh, Ian Cassie, Michael Parry and Robert Smith. Not the uh, lead singer from The Cure. You never know. Do you think? Well, it's quite horrific, isn't it? So he probably had a (laughs) hand in it. Believe it or not, this film was actually known, also known as Judas Goat which was a working title for it. I'm not sure how that plays into the film. Are you? I have absolutely no idea. It'd be better if it was called Judas Priest. Okay, so let me read the synopsis for Extro. Extro opens with a family of three enjoying life at their getaway cottage. Rachel, played by Bernice Stegers, leaves her husband Sam, played by Philip Sayer, and her son Tony, played by Simon Nash, to enjoy playing fetch with their dog. After she leaves, a mysterious beam of light opens in the sky and Sam is seemingly caught in it as Tony helplessly watches off to the side. We fast forward three years later and it's clear that Sam was taken by something or someone, although only Tony witnessed it. Rachel has since moved on in life and is now in a new relationship with a photographer named Joe, however Tony continues to talk about his father. They have a living nanny named Annalise who tries to help as much as she can. Meanwhile, a new beam of light seems to bring to earth a ghastly alien life form which quickly dispatches of a young travelling couple and makes its way to a nearby cottage. Inside, a hapless young blonde woman is attacked by the alien creature who impregnates her. In an eye-opening scene, the woman gives birth to a fully grown man. Yes, it's Sam, who has returned to Earth again after his mysterious disappearance, although it's not clear why. Rachel and Joe's attempt to move on together in life is thwarted by Sam's shocking reappearance as he spots his young son Tony and reunites with him. He claims to be unsure of exactly what happened to him during his time away remembering only the day he was taking and nothing afterwards. As Rachel has to come to terms with Sam joining them again at their house, and Joe feels a spark of jealousy at the reappearance of his lover's former husband, the movie ultimately focuses on the strange effect that Sam's return has on Tony. It becomes clear that Sam has returned to bring Tony back to whatever alien planet or world he himself was taken to. But will Rachel find out in time and be able to stop him before he takes their son away forever? Well, time is running out and Sam is forming a plan that will change everything.
2: There's nothing wrong with him, is there? He appears to be perfectly healthy. If he'd lost that much blood, he'd be too weak to tell us anything. He hasn't
0: told us anything anyways.
2: I test this sample, of course, but I'm quite certain it's not Tony's blood. Well, if it's not Tony's blood, whose is it? You're saying he's pulled some grotesque prank. Why? Could your husband possibly have been in contact with Tony without your knowing it? No. I think you're making a big thing out of it. He's a resourceful kid. He has a big imagination. He doesn't need Sam to help him come up with a trick like that. Joe, just stay out of this, please, will you? I think we can all agree that Tony has had a rather traumatic experience. He does still seem to insist that his father disappeared in this bizarre manner.
3: Yeah, he won't accept
4: that his father ran out on him, so he has him disappear in a flash of light. Psychology one oh one.
0: So, extro. It is our first film of 2015. Tom, what did you think of this one?
1: Who, <laughs> where to begin? Um, it's a film of two halves, or should I say, a quarter. And three quarters, because for the first quarter we have this alien stalk and kill kind of movie we have the the um the abduction early on, then we have this this portion with the alien, and then, after Sam is reborn, it turns into quite a different beast to be honest so for this for this first portion it's it's a funny one I, I kind of appreciate its Britishness you know and like I said before they were still having a go they probably didn't have much money and they were doing the best they can and I think in a lot of ways they do succeed they seem to do it quite smartly
4: mm-hmm.
1: in terms of showing this alien creature in terms of the effects that they do they show what they can get away with and they hide what they know they can't quite get away with so I think effect wise this this first portion is done quite well it's very low tech but they do the best they can and they're quite smart about a few things but it can't mask the sort of overriding cheapness of it but it does garner some goodwill from me because they they do their best then we have this this pregnancy scene and Sam is is reborn and you know the thing it reminds me of from here on in I have a guess Famous horror film. Does it remind you of anything?
0: Do you mean the pregnancy scene itself, or do you mean what the film becomes after that?
1: What the film becomes after that.
0: I'm having a hard time guessing that one, Tom.
1: I don't think that this other film was influenced by Extra in any way, but it reminds me a lot of Hellraiser. And Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: In the way that Hellraiser was a very sort of kitchen sink uh, kind of story, With this supernatural element thrown into it, and Extro is sort of the same with a sci-fi horror element thrown into it. So, I mean, the funny thing is, Hellraiser came out four or five years later, so you can't even say that Extro is a rip-off of Hellraiser. And I'm sure that Clive Barker wouldn't be ripping off Extro. So, it's maybe it's just a British thing. It's the kind of British sensibility of it. I mean, I don't know. We'll get more into the into the nitty-gritty of it later on, but. What what are your initial thoughts maybe about that first section?
0: Yeah, I think that's I think you're I think that's the best section of the film for me personally. Um, I think the effects are strong. You know, they're mm. like you say, you can you can tell they don't have much money to play with. I quite like the look of the alien. Um, it's a bizarre looking thing, isn't it? It's quite horrific, and and I enjoy that about it. And it's sort of it's gooey and and a bit gory. Um, and i have to say the the pregnancy scene is 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 a remarkable thing to look at again mm-hmm. i think it's it's a cool effect basically what happens is this young blonde woman who's i don't think she's even given a name in the movie but um she's impregnated by this alien then she gives birth to sam a fully grown man and her stomach sort of balloons up massively and it's it's a good effect it is um it it's uh yeah so i i think that they did a very good they made it let me say it this way i think they made a very real effort to put something together that that with the money that they had available and i, I think it i think certainly the effects work is is nothing to um you know you, you can't deny that there's there's some effective stuff in there i think um i understand what you're saying actually about the hellraiser feel of it the, the difference for me is you know from the beginning of it and then we getting into this story i find that even though the, the movie is actually not very long it's uh, just shy of 90 minutes um I it's about 85 minutes 84 minutes something like that i found the film to be quite meandering in the middle and um, when we get to that scene uh, we get to that scene and we pass it and then like you say sam is reborn i, I personally found that after, after that it began to, to slow down which is something you don't want in a, in a movie that's not very long but but yeah it it I really couldn't agree with you more. I think that first scene, the effects there, the look of the alien, it sets. It was setting me up to be more impressed than I thought I would be, and then the film changes, doesn't it? And we we get into this story of um of Rachel and Tony and moving on with her her new fella uh, Joe. Yeah. And it it changes then. it becomes sort of more of a drama, I suppose. It
1: does. I mean going back to that alien. I like it too. It it's funny it's you know that bit where the alien sort of driving along and you just see a glimpse of the alien and it runs off into the woods. Yeah. Someone's tried to pass that off lately as a, a sort of sighting of a chupacabra or something in Mexico. Oh, really? Yeah. There's some little bit of viral footage. Um but the the guy who plays the alien is Tim Dry. And he was a mime artist, and amongst other things, uh, back in the day, and he worked a lot with Barbie Wilde, who, as we know, is the female Cenobite in Hellbound. Mm-hmm. Not that that's got anything to do with this movie, but you know they got a guy who was good at doing things with his body, and he, he's also been in Star Wars and stuff as various aliens and so on. So you know they got a good guy to to do this alien, but like you say, it's it's a shame that it sets it up so nicely. It's a bit low-tech, but it's quite grisly, good effects. And I was sitting there thinking, okay, you've got me here, and then it changed, and it was like, oh. (laughs) So this is how it's going to be, and then we get this sort of drama. Now, what I was thinking is we have this sort of drama with the kid and and stuff, and uh, Sam comes back, so we have all these family sort of dynamic changes and you know it it's a it's a subject that's ripe for good drama. Is it ripe for a horror movie? Well possibly but what really just puts me off is you know a film's got to work well within its own rules mm-hmm. and you know we've got this alien at the beginning, Sam is reborn and then the kid gets bitten by Sam later on and these things happen like the action man and the little clown dwarf yeah starting to kill people and it's like where does this come from you know it just doesn't yeah. seem to fit within what they've established
0: I mean this film goes off the deep end at one point doesn't it where mm-hmm. particularly when the um, the clown action figure turns into a small person dressed yeah. up as a clown uh, it's it's bizarre and I, I don't I, up to that point I, I was okay with it um i sort of thought okay i mean this is an interesting concept you got this guy who's but we know he must be an alien or he's been birthed from an alien there's something you know clearly wrong with him uh he's been taken abducted mm-hmm. um and he's back on earth and he's with his family now spending time with them again and it's a very uncomfortable situation so i was kind of okay with that and then the clown becomes a small person Mm -hmm. a real living person who hangs out with tony in his bedroom and and like you say there's a neighbor who lives downstairs who tony doesn't like because she ends up killing his snake who escapes yeah um and so these life-size action figures they come in and they kill her it's very bizarre isn't it like it's like something out of a demonic toys movie or something it just is and it it, it unsettled me at that point i didn't quite know what that was about i didn't quite understand that and from that point onwards you sort of got i feel like then the characters are kind of split in in two you've got tony on his own with this weird bizarre surrealistic thing going on in his world, and mm-hmm. then you've got Sam and Rachel and Joe's off there to the side, and they're dealing with their drama. Uh, uh, Sam and Rachel want to go back to the cottage, their getaway cottage, to see if they can remember anything from there, because that's where uh, Sam was taken from. I feel like it; the narrative sort of splits at that point, and it becomes... I feel like it's very rushed to begin with. I mean, it, it's... Like I say, it's a short movie. I feel like they... The script is... is, is is not that great, and it's it's. They rush through it fairly quickly. Boom, 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 boom. Let's get to the next scene. Nothing feels particularly developed to me.
1: I see what you're saying. For me, it felt quite long, though. I'm surprised it's only ninety minutes because these scenes just seem to go on and on. Where you know they're talking about stuff. Do you remember this? No, I don't. You know this, that, and the other. And for me, I think what they should have done is you know they've got sam who's come back we don't know how much he can actually remember and what he's pretending he can he can't remember is he working on some sort of instinctive level at this point we don't know Mm
4: -hmm.
1: but instead of these the small clown the panther the action man if perhaps the the creature had been in the building and there's there's obviously some sort of link between them, you know, and it was the creature that done the killing if someone was getting in their way, then that could have been a way to go with it and it still would have fitted within its own kind of rules, if you like, because when the the clan and the action man come into it, I'm just sitting there like, where did this come from? You know, yeah. I, I just don't get it. So they should have kept the creature in it because that was its big selling point, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and had that be... This element of horror throughout.
0: Yeah, I think the, the the alien creature adds a bit of weirdness to it, mm. and and that's sort of taken away, and it becomes a bit milk toast after that. Uh, but we move on as we you know as we go on towards the end, and it, it again it sort of gets a bit it gets a bit more bizarre again. Uh, basically, Sam and Rachel end up there having sex, uh, they're a reunited couple, and something's happening to Sam where it seems like his flesh is gradually starting to sort of peel away again. I guess he's an alien under there. Um, and so that's starting to come loose now. Um, I feel like this, the finale to the film is very rushed. Like a lot of things happen very quickly, uh, but I was also grateful to it because like I said, I, I you know, you were saying you, you felt that it was long. Mm. Um, I, I, I sort of agree in that, it's like i was saying, I found it to be quite meandering during that middle section. Yeah. And there's some weird stuff that happens at the end. I mean, we can talk about Annalise, who's played by Maryam Diabeau, um, who is... She's a, a French nanny. Yeah.
4: Um,
0: I'll tell you more about her, actually, the act- actress herself later. But uh, And, you know, so she's an all-right character. I don't, I don't feel that she brings a tremendous amount to it, but she's an eye candy, uh, we can say that.
1: Oh, she's stunning, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Oh absolutely. Um beautiful beautiful girl and so she ends up being uh, f- fed upon I suppose by Tony later on in the movie. <laughs> and then like you know and then the the weird clown is there and then she's all sort of cocooned up. I thought it was a great effect the actual cocooning of her. Mm-hmm. Um and then she gives birth to a bunch of alien dark brown alien eggs. And which is you know I mean at least that's feeding into the alien theme, and there are some nice effects and everything there. It got a bit, it got all got a bit confuzzling to me, to be honest, Tom. As we went to, I'm not saying I didn't understand it. I just thought the film itself was very confused and very rushed, as we we make our way towards the, its conclusion.
1: I can't remember whether it's in someone's feedback or whether it's somewhere I've read where they said that Harry Bromley Davenport says on the DVD features that it's a mess. And uh, you know, I would have to agree with them. It, it does get messy, not so much that you you can't see what's going on. There's still a sort of narrative going along there, but it just goes off on these little tangents that don't seem to really connect up to anything. We get to this scene at the end, and you know, I don't want to rush to the end kind of thing, but it is very fractured. But I like the end and to it. Sam got kidnapped. He came back to earth in this very strange way. You know, I don't know how that technology works that you get reborn through an alien impregnating a woman, but it happened. Nope. Um, and he came back to get his son and now he's got his son and you see what he changed into. Uh, that's his true form now and his son's changing too and they're going away. And it's simple in, in that sense, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I like, I like that closing image as well. You know, it's, uh, good effects and so on so you know it's very it sort of wins me over on some bits and then baffles me on other bits so i never quite know where i am
0: yeah i mean even as confused as as the ending of the film is uh, like i say not in terms of it's not that you can't understand what's going on it's just that to me it feels quite choppy in the way that it's actually executed but uh, there's no doubt to me that that there's some there's some really, there's some really cool stuff in this movie there's some very effective stuff in there i just think that whole middle section is quite meandering and i think if you if there'd been a a way to sort of spice that up a bit uh like you say maybe with the actual alien creature being alive in that building i think it would have been more effective than than it is uh but yeah th- at the end of the day it's a very simple mission when you get right down to it which is that sam has returned for his son and now he has his son and they they sort of—they both gradually turn back into their true form. Mm-hmm. Um, now, don't forget that Sam, as—I don't know what he's doing—but he sort of—he's—he's he's bitten his son earlier on in the movie and kind of, I suppose, implanted whatever this sort of alien DNA is. Yeah. And that's how Tony ends up becoming, you know, as and, and, and some sort of alien life form as well, at the end of the movie. Um, I—I th- I mean, how do you feel about the, the the movie in terms of acting, the the acting performances in there?
1: I'm trying to think of a, an example. It, it's funny some of the faces we see along the way. You know the doctor who you see early on. I remember him from Last of the Summer Wine. You know, <laughs> yeah. and the old woman downstairs was Lou Beale from EastEnders. She was, yep. Um, and then we've got a Bond girl, so it's all very strange. But it it was a bit sort of stagey. I thought some of them. I mean the the female lead. I can't remember her name, but Bernice, she w-
0: Bernice Stegers is the name
1: another sort of Hellraiser-esque uh, character. She very much reminds me of Claire Higgins. She, mm-hmm. She's quite similar. It was okay. I mean, it, if you look at
0: Hellraiser, there's some dodgy acting in that as well. So it it yeah. was all right. Did you notice the use of overdubbing in a lot of places? Like, I'm sure that kid, the the kid who plays Tony, was overdubbed a bunch of times.
1: Yeah, I think he was. Um mm-hmm. And I was curious about Joe as well. Was he really American? Was Was he trying to put on an American accent there?
0: I think it. Well, I think he was. Yeah. I mean, I've done a a very quick little search on him uh, a couple of days ago, actually. And uh, yeah, I think he was putting on a, on an American accent, not an American actor. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's a great acting performance in it. No. Um there's a bit that made me laugh, which is that you know Joe is a photographer, and he's working with this model who has the most comically British accent yeah. and, and it's not, it, it can't be her real accent. She's obviously overdubbed and it it's just, I don't know. There's some strange, there's some strange overdubbing in there that I noticed. Maybe I'm aware of it because I've watched a lifetime's worth of, of martial arts movies. I'm used to it, but, um, yeah, I I wasn't particularly sold on on anybody. I thought the guy who played Joe was a, actually I, I will say that Philip Sayer who plays Sam I think it was perfectly decent. Yeah, yeah. he's
1: probably the best in it. But it's interesting this Joe thing, you know, with this American accent. I sometimes feel in those days, like we say, the British film industry was dying. This was sort of the last throws, I guess, until you know Trainspotting years later revived everything. The films that did come out, I think they often tried to appeal to an American audience I'm surprised they left it as British as they did um, because again going back to Hellraiser that was a very British film it had one American character in it but then they well two but then they Americanized everyone else apart from like Claire Higgins and tried to pass it off as being in America and then you've, you've got films like Horror High with Caroline Monroe I think that's what it's called where you've got a load of British actors in a very British-looking uh, senior school trying to pass themselves off as American high school kids. Yeah. Um. I also remember a, a, an alien film with Samantha Janice in it from a few years later, where they're all pretending to be American as well. There's this idea that British movies didn't sell, so yeah. they would either Americanize them or put an American in it. And this time round, we've got Joe with his <laughs> accents, I think. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and it doesn't really make a tremendous amount of sense that he would be American. It doesn't add anything to it, uh. but he just is. Okay, so what are your general thoughts on the film, Tom?
1: I think overall it I do have a certain amount of goodwill towards it still for the things it gets right, the thing it tries to get right and fails, the sort of naffness of it in a very British way. You know, just little things just make me laugh to a degree, like... I know I'm a few years older than you mate and mm-hmm. but I don't know about you when I was a kid no one in England really had a shower everyone <laughs> had a bath <laughs> yeah and if if you needed to the functionality of a shower you had those shitty things that you put on the taps the sort mm-hmm. of rubber tube that yep. you put on the taps you turn the taps on and you've got this sort of makeshift shower head you know and American TV shows, they all had showers, you know, and just the sort of, and that's what's here as well, that naffness of British life, you know, compared to what we, I don't know, maybe it's a romanticised view of what was going on in America, but everything in America seemed better, and we had naff shitty shower heads on our taps <laughs> it's
4: <laughs> so, a
0: great it's a great point i mean and it all, oh, it i mean that almost looks like a, a piece of alien tubing anyway doesn't it
1: yeah <clears throat> those kind of things that slightly endear me to it as well as an overall film it it sort of makes sense and i can get from beginning to end and enjoy it um I'm not sure i'd give it another watch but yeah but yeah, there's just, you know, a bit of tweaking here and there. It could have been something really solid. Get rid of the action man, get rid of the clown, bit more of the creature. It would have been fine. But, you know I I kinda like it, you know, I, and that's the best I can really say.
0: Yeah, but it's all right, isn't it? i mean mm-hmm. I, you know i'm not gonna pretend that i I loved it I, I i liked it more than i thought i would uh i i've wanted to see Extro for a while it's just one of those films i didn't really know anything about it but i just i've always sort of read that name on the internet or heard about it and thought okay i'd, I'd quite like to see that someday never got around to it until until now of course this um show gives us the opportunity to do that and mm-hmm. um and I finished it thinking, okay, I mean, it's all right. Like you say, I don't know if I would sit and watch it again. I'm not particularly interested in, in watching the sequels either, uh, which I'll tell you about in a moment. But but you've got to admire the effort that was made in, in, in certain areas. Uh, the effects work is good. It's mm. it's strong, you know, by no means the best stuff you've ever seen. But they were, they were making an effort with that. I wish there was more of that in there. I think that was their, their strength. Perhaps they didn't have the money to do it but it, it it just i think it gets a bit boring in the middle for me and it i shouldn't really be bored with a film that's uh, you know based on sh- just shy of an hour and a half long uh, but it but it's okay it it's okay it's i know our, our our friend chris ward we've got some feedback from him later on i think he's a bigger fan of this than we are mm-hmm. um and i can understand why you know i can see things in there that that would appeal to him i know he you know his taste quite well he's um so I, you know, yeah, I can see why people like it, and I and I I didn't mind it. I'll say that much. But it's not, it's nothing great. But I think if you if you found it one day in a bargain bin somewhere or something, I think it's definitely worth a, you know, if it's a couple of quid on Amazon on DVD, I think it's worth a watch. But I wouldn't I wouldn't give it any more than that.
1: I mean, you mentioned the sequels there.
0: Well, I've actually got a load of trivia here, Tom, and hmm. I'll uh, I'll read that. But yeah, I'll, I'll start with that. Um, yeah, this was the first of three films in the series, in the Extro series. Believe it or not, it was a franchise. Um, you've got Extro 2, The Second Encounter, and Extro 3, Watch the Skies. Neither film has anything to do with the story in this one. So they are unrelated, but they were all directed by Harry Bromley Davenport. So he had a hand in all of them. But yeah, otherwise, uh, I don't know if the if the second and third films have anything to do with each other. But I, I don't think so, from what I've you know the brief bit I've read up on, on both of them.
1: I think I'm I'm going to have to watch them. I I just have a fascination with shitty sequels. I just <laughs> especially with something like this because you know it looks like a film that they've just about managed to squeeze out and they managed to make another two that's bizarre so uh, i want to see them
0: all right if you watch them i will
1: (laughs) but we won't do a podcast about them
0: no but maybe we'll mention them someday we'll just say oh by the way tom i watched extra two the other day that was rubbish wasn't it (laughs) (laughs) Um, so let me read out some of this other stuff i've got now we were talking about benice Stegers who plays rachel the lead female in the movie um some horror fans will also know her as Jane Baker, the main character in a film that I think you and I are both fans of. Mm-hmm. Um, Lumber- Lumberto barva's grisly classic Macabre from 1980. Um, in that film, she plays a woman who is so upset by the death of her lover, she becomes obsessed with his head and keeps it in the refrigerator. So you remember that one, don't you, mate?
1: I do, I do. It's uh, I enjoy that film quite a bit.
0: Me too. Uh, you mentioned it before, uh, Mariam Diabo, who plays Annalise, is perhaps best known as a Bond girl. She starred in *The Living Daylights* with Timothy Dalton in uh, 1987. Uh, she played the character of Cara Milovi. Um I haven't seen *The Living Daylights*. You know, that's one of the of a handful of Bond films that I haven't seen. I've seen most of them, but not that one.
1: Yeah, I uh, I'm a bit of a Bond fan, uh, so I've seen them all several times, but. Um... Yeah, it was good to see her in this. Like I say, she's stunning woman, absolutely yeah. gorgeous. So, you know, it doesn't hurt to have her in here.
0: No, not at all. Uh, finally, there was an alternative ending to the movie. And I think Chris Ward touches on this as well. He actually told me about this on Twitter, um, that he's got a sort of German version of the movie, a German uncut that has the alternative ending on it. I'm assuming it's this ending. Um, in this alternative ending, Rachel returns home to find a number of clones of Tony, all of which had hatched from the dark brown alien eggs that were in the refrigerator. Now, Apparently, executive producer Robert Shea, who I think you'll, most of you will know probably better for being associated with the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, um, he didn't think the special effects in the scene were convincing enough, and so uh, director Davenport ended up filming the new ending that we see today. We never really... Um, sort of describe that ending shot but basically rachel comes home after sam takes tony and they disappear in a flash of light there's a ship there and they're gone and rachel returns back to the apartment um i i get the feeling she's lost her mind at that point which you'd understand wouldn't you (laughs) because there's a lot of very strange things that have happened in a short time and we never actually mention over that joe ends up uh sam sort of howls at him and Joe's eardrums explode. I think his brain explodes actually, and he dies. That's um, right. Yeah, and so Rachel returns home to the apartment, and there is the refrigerator that's like laying on the on the floor there. And she reaches into the refrigerator, and there's all this goop in there. It actually looks like hummus, green hummus. Um, she reaches in, dips dips a bit of pita bread in there. <laughs> no, not really. She uh, <laughs> reaches in, grabs an alien egg, and then something bursts bursts out of it and attaches to her face and. And she perishes, I assume, um, which I thought was was a good ending. Actually, I like that ending shot. That's what, one of my favourite bits of the movie. It's very quick, but it it sort of reminded me of a jolt that you would get, like at the end of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street or something like that. You know?
1: That's right. I guess uh, I didn't know Bob Shea was the executive producer, so he does love his uh, jumps at the end.
0: He really does. And also, we should say, I mean, New Line Cinema were involved with this, so they had a big studio distributing it.
1: Again another detail that baffles me frankly but <laughs> I don't know it's a baffling film.
0: You must you do wonder don't you like uh, why did they buy this? Yeah. Uh, well I guess that speaks to um to some of its effectiveness anyway. If you guys you want to buy the movie uh, you can buy all three films in the extra series on DVD. There is a trilogy box set which seems to be out of print. I had a look at it on Amazon and it's like 50 quid or something. So I wouldn't advise going for that. I think you can get all three films separately and they're only a couple of quid. So if you fancy getting all of them, you can, or just this one. You know, it's quite easy to pick up. I did have a quick look and see if there's any sort of Blu-ray release for it. it doesn't seem to be. Um, maybe it's just a film that's too under the radar for that. Um, quite surprised, really, because I've got. You know, there's some films in my collection. I mean, if you put Bloody Necromantic on Blu-ray, uh, I've been shocked that you wouldn't put this on there as well. But um...
1: it is. It does occupy a strange sort of place, doesn't it? It seems to be. It survives the film mm-hmm. sort of survives but only just it, the cult doesn't seem to be strong but it it's there so it, it it's sort of in the corners of uh, of cultdom somewhere without really being a strong cult classic
0: well we as you well know Tom we are really arguably the two most popular people on the internet so oh, if we, yeah so if we can keep the cult alive we will do even though admittedly we're not exactly the the greatest uh, mouthpiece for the movie since we're not you know terribly enamored with it but um i don't know folks give it a go see what you think let us know
1: so from extro to the thing that is quite a jump quite a jump and like i said you know apples and oranges from what the uk were doing at the time to what the americans were doing but the thing 1982 directed by john carpenter and set in the snowy landscapes of the antarctic the thing opens with a beautiful husky dog being chased by a helicopter as it runs away one of the inhabitants fires inaccurately at it attempting to kill it the dog and its chaser manage to reach an american research station occupied by a group of scientists who all witnessed the landing of the aircraft and receive the dog the helicopter is inhabited by surviving members of a norwegian research station who seem incredibly keen to end the life of the dog but when one of them accidentally blows up the helicopter and then shoots the leg of an american scientist in the midst of madness he's shot dead faced with a multitude of questions the, ta- the scientists take the dog in nevertheless and examine the body uh, the research station is manned by men only kurt russell plays mccready one of the most level-headed of the group Wilford Brimley also stars as Blair, the one scientist who works out what's happening early on. The cast is rounded out by Donald Moffat as Gary, Richard Mazur as Clark, Keith David as Childs, and several others. When the dog is put into a kennel with the other dogs, it begins to transform, and soon it's apparent that an alien life form with the ability to perfectly imitate his host is inside the research station. McCready and Copper, played by Richard Dysart, investigate the Norwegian research base and uncover a UFO which was unearthed by the old team, none of which survive. They also discover a misshapen otherworldly body and transport it back to their own station to investigate it. Their discoveries lead them to the truth. This is an alien life form, capable of transforming into any one of them. As they group together to try and eradicate the alien, distrust settles in more and more soon enough nobody trusts anybody, as any one of them could be an alien in disguise. As tempers fray and Blair goes off the handle due to his own lack of trust, only McCready offers a level-headed approach to the situation as everyone struggles to regain enough composure to kill the life form that threatens to destroy them all, in the bleak, snowy landscape where even the cold weather itself is dangerous enough.
4: I know I'm human.
2: And if you were all these things, then you'd just attack me right now. So some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to. But it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. There's a storm hitting us in six hours. We're going
4: to find out who's who.
1: So, Chris, The Thing by John Carpenter, what do you think?
0: Well, Tom, Thomas, I'll say this. Uh, John Carpenter is my favourite director. Mm -hmm. uh, From... I would say from the late seventies through to the late eighties, the man was practically untouchable in terms of quality from, you know, the Halloween, uh, not the Halloween Halloween, which is my favorite movie of all time. The fog Mm -hmm. escape from New York, this movie, Christine, big trouble in little China, Prince of Darkness. They live, I would say up to that point. I mean, that's what eight, eight, nine films there Mm -hmm. um, that are, I think are just brilliant. Uh, Look, I, I I can't lie, I can't pretend. This is one of my very favourite horror movies. It's in my top ten of all time. I never get bored of it, never get tired of watching it. Um, it is just as effective to me now as it was when I first saw it. Um, I think it's a masterpiece. What do you think?
1: When we had a little chat before the podcast, I, I said to you, didn't I? I said, Chris, what can I say about the thing? You know, for me, yeah. it's untouchable. Mm -hmm. It really is untouchable. And like you say, Carpenter was in that sweet spot that a lot of directors have. You know, you look at Argento's work, you can see a window where he's on fire. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at Fulci as well, and it's quite short for Fulci in terms of his horror output, but there's a period where he's just banging out these great movies, and, you know, it was a decade-long thing for Carpenter. I I also like... Uh, I only saw one of his Masters of Horror, but I like the one he did with the film Absolute Demand or whatever it was called. Mm-hmm. This sort of uh, forbidden movie.
0: Yeah, C- cigarette burns was the name of that. Yeah. That's and right, it, yeah. and it had uh, Norman Reedus in it. Who of course, is is popular now as uh, Daryl in The Walking Dead. Because I remember when I started watching The Walking Dead, I was like, I remember that actor from something. I remembered he was in, he was in that short, and that was I th- I believe that was the first thing Carpenter did. After uh, Ghosts of Mars, he sort of he had a big long break, and then he he he's directed two shorts for the Master of Horror series.
1: That's it. I didn't see the other one. I mean, I've seen Vampires. It's not great, but it's an entertaining bit of fluff, you know. Um, I never saw Ghosts of Mars to be honest, because that's the one that unfortunately seemed to derail him, didn't it?
0: Yeah, it's not good. It it was. Uh... Not a wise decision to have done it, I don't think. But there's in the mouth of madness, um, so the, you know that I'm not saying that that the well. I think the quality goes down quite a bit when you get to the, the 90s, but there's still you know there's decent stuff in there. I feel like, but I, I feel like they live is kind of where it stops for me with Carpenter, just in terms of stuff that I really love. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not to take away, you know, to take anything away from him as a real master of horror i think you see it in in halloween Uh, you know i could go on about halloween for ages so i won't to me that's another untouchable movie Mm -hmm. Uh, for a director to have a whole bunch of movies that are just like that you know escape from new york again one of my favorite movies of all time you know really everything he did from the late 70s through to the late 80s is, is golden to me and um yeah, I, I, it, it, I think uh, uh, for a certain period of time, I, th- I think he was a remarkable director in, in the same way that Argento was and Fulci and Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, a lot of these guys now are sort of the, the quality, especially in the Argento's case, the quality has gone down enormously, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Argento. It's funny, my my girlfriend for Christmas, she bought me an uh, Argento T-shirt that has all of his films listed on it. And it's a great T-shirt. Uh, but I sort of realise reading down the list it's got everything up to and including Dracula 3D <laughs> and and I sort of realised that only about the first half of that list the films that I actually like and the rest of them are all the rubbish he's done you know since the early 90s onwards so um, but yeah so I'm going off on a tangent there but I, I really think that Carpenter for for a long time was an astonishing director and that's the reason why he's my favorite director it's because I really can't think of many other directors who have made a string of classic movies like that that all of which I th- I think are great
1: interestingly as well going off on a bit of a tangent i suppose we we will get back to the thing eventually but i suppose if we're talking about john carpenter there's a bit of a renaissance with film soundtracks at the moment and mm. I I love his Escape from New York soundtrack. Yeah. This this one isn't scored by Carpenter. It's uh, Morricone, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But you know he he's a master of sort of the soundtracks as well, and he's he's bringing out a, an album soon in February. Yes. Um, called Lost Themes, I think.
0: That's right. Yeah, I've heard a, a track from it actually. It's it's fantastic
1: it's it's you know although it's new stuff it's sort of like a, a throwback to the escape from new york soundtrack as well mm. i was listening to it driving around the other day and you know you feel like snake plissken in me little Citroen, you know just driving around <laughs> um because it, it does there's just something about the synth the sort of guitar riffs uh, and he, he was great at that as well
0: he was a fantastic composer and You know, I have to say, I mean, Morricone's soundtrack for this is actually quite Carpenter-esque, I think. Mm. Um, It doesn't have that sort of sweeping, sort of lush feel that a lot of Morricone stuff does. But then Morricone could do creepy stuff as well. I mean, he did work for for, uh, various giallos over the years. But, um, or at least one. I think he might have done a couple of giallos, but I think I know of one. I can't remember the name of it now. Um, But I have to say, we we didn't actually talk about this when we were reviewing Extro, but Extro has got has got the most 80 sounding synth soundtrack on it and it's all over the place <laughs> and it's like and i think carpenter proves that you can make a great soundtrack by keeping actually keeping it very simple Definitely. you know if you, you listen to the halloween did i mean it's very very simple all of the music actually in in the original halloween i hate that i have to make that distinction um is so simple Mm. but it works you know i mean i listen to that soundtrack and it still gives me the creeps um yeah carpenter's one of those guys if you can if you can score any of his soundtracks that he's done you're going to be in for a good time because it's to me it's all a lot of it is pretty flawless really
1: definitely and i can't wait for lost themes i've heard two of the tracks so far about i'm Day one purchase for me, absolutely.
0: Yeah, same here. I've heard one track, and um, it it took me right back to being a kid again. Hearing the music for Escape from New York, or even the music from uh, Halloween 3, mm-hmm. which is uh, one of my f- one of my favourite scores, actually, but underrated underrated movie in general. But um, but yes. Anyway, let's get back to the thing before everybody gets <laughs> bored of us uh, rambling on about the stuff we love about Carpenter. But look, I mean, Carpenter is. is our first master of horror was Cronenberg so I feel like we 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 you know we we need to uh, dedicate some time to talking about one of the great masters I think
1: so the thing what do you say about the thing
0: I think on on every level it just works um uh, it is suspenseful it's tense um it's atmospheric Part, part of which is down to the music part of which is down to just the general atmosphere that's been created in in the landscape itself you know in the setting i love the fact that it's set in this very isolated area where these guys they really can't escape you know it's very very cold out there freezing cold temperatures so they can't run away from the research station because they won't make it they won't survive for very long it, it i feel like it it touches on everything that i love as a horror fan which is you know i like to feel that something is getting underneath my skin and i have to say i mean i like horror that is infused with comedy as well but i do i personally like horror that that makes me feel that things might be a bit hopeless and i get that feeling with this um these are just my you know sort of general thoughts on it i mean how do you feel
1: yeah there's a lot of things you can say really it's just going to be gushing all the way through with praise probably i mean like you say the location i was lucky enough to see this on a very very big screen a couple of years ago Um, and you know carpenter knows how to use a wide screen and this location is just perfect and he really knows how to shoot it but the I've got a couple of images that always come back to me uh, from watching horror movies as a kid, and the the initial one where the the dog is put into that into the pen with all the other dogs. Some great yeah. acting by this dog as well, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's very unsettling because it, it sort of just sort of gingerly steps in and lies down, and the the other dogs are sort of at the walls kind of thing, and then uh, this horrible transformation happens and I, I think i must have been about 6 or 7 years old when i saw it I, I was just absolutely distraught from what i'd just seen you know this lovely dog it was terrifying um but you know it's it still holds up that you know we we can't talk about the thing without talking about the makeup
0: effects oh i mean you know rob rob Boteen's work on this is stunning i think
1: the the inventiveness you you've got a creature that you know look at alien it's it's the one creature kind of thing this thing is different every time you see it it's okay. transforming in different ways those tendrils that come out and are just frantically waving everywhere how he came up with this stuff i will never know but it's it's just masterfully done i probably unequalled in in a lot of ways
0: yeah i mean the actual uh, the, the dog thing um that sort of transfer transforms into this nasty creature um in the kennel uh, that effect was actually done by stan winston oh really yes it was and uh, he decided not to take credit for it because he wanted everybody to focus on rob Botine's great work
4: hmm.
0: uh, but you have to say for the for the rest of it I think Rob Bottin is extremely underrated. Um, You never really hear his name that much. Uh, You always hear Savini. You know, we Mm -hmm. hear about KMB. uh, You hear about Greg Nicotero. We never really hear Rob Bottin's name. And you look at this movie. This, this to me, is a shining example of why I'll always love practical effects more than than digital ones. You know, and I'm not saying, you know, you need CG for some of the big epic movies that we see. You know, you couldn't imagine Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit without some CG being used, of course. But... I feel like I feel like this movie it raised the bar and I don't know if if anybody has ever been able to top this.
1: If you take something like Day of the Dead that it's a different kind of thing. I mean, I think that's an effects masterpiece as well. Yeah. But it's a different kind of thing in terms of showing an alien on screen and it does so many different things. You know, whatever threat is coming its way, it will adapt to it instantly if it needs to get away it will adapt to it instantly like it it's unbelievable and I I can't recall off the top of my head seeing anything practically done as well no
0: no I completely agree it it just is it's it's just masterfully done isn't it I mean there's we could gush about it all day the effects in here if you've not seen this movie for some reason you're going to be you're going to be incredibly impressed by it and I think it still holds up even now you know i mean you could say yes i can tell that that's a model and i can tell that this is you know this is that and this is prosthetics but that's also part of the magic of it isn't it is that we know that something has been put together by a team of people but you never really think about it and when i whenever i watch this movie i don't think about that i just think about how effective the actual effect was Mm -hmm. um it's quite stunning let's get into the plot of it then tom and 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 sort of it You know, we can continue to gush about it as we go along. (laughs) Um, I love the theme of distrust in this. Whenever I I, I watch this, I sit there and I think, you know what, this is one situation. If I was being chased by Jason Voorhees, I might know kind of what to do to try and get away. I may not survive, but I might, because I know that what I probably need to do is run away. Um, When I watch this, I, I honestly, I have no idea what I would do if I was in that situation, because you just can't trust anybody. This alien life form is able to imitate anybody. How do you trust anyone?
1: Well, that's it. You you just can't, can you? I mean, I've seen this film so many times, and I try and keep track of people, <laughs> you know, because we know who turns now, because we've seen it so many times. But I, I just always just get caught up with the story, so I never I never actually do it. I just end up watching the film. But you're right, you know, this distrust this, this that runs through it, it's it's fantastic. It's uh, it's fantastic and the, the suspense is palpable.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. The atmosphere in this is extraordinary. I think part of it is the setting, you know, where it's set, those snowy landscapes, that feeling of isolation. That's what I feel ultimately when I watch it, is there is that real feeling of isolation, that these guys ultimately, they're cut off from society. They're cut off from a quick rescue. Mm-hmm. So, all they can really do is try to root out this alien life form when it could be any of them. Um, this film began my love affair with Mr. Kurt Russell. Mm. Uh, I've been a fan of his for a long, long time. You know, starting with this, I actually saw this first. Then I saw Escape from New York, and then you know, various other films. And then later on, I saw Big Trouble in Little China. He's one of my favourite actors. Um, how do you feel about him as the lead in this?
1: You know, he's Kurt Russell again what what can you say he's um he's a proper man's man but not in a so i guess you could say snake Pliskin is he's more yeah. of the the sort of clint eastwood-esque but in this he's just sort of effortlessly cool yeah. you know he wears that big silly hat but he's still cool you know he's still kate <laughs> russell so he he is very good i even like him in Things like death proof. It wasn't the best movie, but I think he was great in it. You know the yeah. Tarantino grindhouse film. So yeah, good cast. Good cast all around, You know.
0: Yeah, I mean he's good in everything, isn't he? And I think that's the that that's the key to it. But this is a great cast. I mean, there are. So, I mean, I didn't list them all. There, to be honest with you, the summary that I I wrote that Tom read the the synopsis rather. Um, I I still feel like I haven't done justice to the movie because it's difficult to describe it. It's difficult to break it down into words because I feel like you should just watch it and experience it for yourself and I've, there are so many great actors in this. I don't think there's a bad there's a single bad acting performance in it. I think everybody is solid. I do think that Kurt Russell is a fantastic lead. He's got great presence. He's got that big Jim Morrison beard mm. on um which he yeah, he looks stu he actually looks stunningly like Jim Morrison in this to me. Um and when you think about it, you know, when was it, like two years before he was he was Snake Pliskin, a very different character. So yeah, the the man's man, but there are great there are great guys in here. Wilford Brimley, for example, I'm I'm very, very fond of as Blair, who is the scientist who actually works out what's happening um fairly early on and becomes distrustful of other people very quickly too. Keith David is in this, the man with the golden voice. Yeah, you know the man who, for me, can do no wrong. He's been in a, a million video games as well, and um, and I'm so, so fond of him. Um, yeah, it it the the cast in this, I think, is just phenomenal. It's an ensemble of great characters.
1: I do agree that we have a great cast. Wilf Brimley, I think, is especially good. I mean, we we do have a range of of people in here, but it's all. You know the weaker ones have smaller parts, and no one's weak to the point of being bad. It's just, you know, Wilfer Brimley. He's a veteran. He's yeah. he's a class act. So he he's great in it. Um, like you say, Keith David. You know the the scene. The, there's so many great scenes in it. I'm trying to think of some that particularly stand out, but pretty much everything does, I suppose. The you know the. One of the big ones is always going to be the the wire in the blood, isn't it?
0: Yeah, which is still, to me, one of the most tense scenes in any movie I've ever seen. I mean, I've seen this movie so many times. The scene still makes me jump, even mm. now. Um, it, it What happens is uh, McCready, uh, Kurt Russell's character, decides... Uh, People are suspecting him of possibly being an alien And so what he decides to do is is heat up a wire And then put it into, um, basically place it into a blood sample Which is taken from each of the surviving members of of the the scientist crew here And the idea behind that is that, you know, us as human beings This life form, an alien life form What it would try to do is, is survive And by heating its blood up it would instinctively have a reaction uh, to that happening and it it makes me jump every time every single time it's so tense and powerful um and there's some oh god there's some awesome effects in there as well it's it, to me it's one of the the perfect uh, scenes in any horror movie i've seen it's it's um incredibly memorable
1: you know one of the other great thing sequences which i always love is when they're doing the um the paddles on the the guy who's who's passed out, yes, and obviously his chest opens up, the the arms go in, and the and it just shows how adaptable this thing is, you know, and it, even to the point of his head comes off and grows legs and walks away. Th- this thing can just do anything to survive, yeah. and it, it's just fascinating
0: it's completely unpredictable you can't mm. predict what it's going to do next and that is part of, of why you feel so fearful of it and why they feel fearful of it they can't trust each other they certainly can't trust this thing they don't really know what it's capable of they know as you know as much information as we get but what else can it do uh how do you kill it you know they're setting things on fire but yet this thing is still managing to live so it's it, it's a, a remarkable um movie monster I would say mm. uh, something that that cannot be predicted and therefore cannot be gotten rid of easily.
1: There's so much to talk about with this film. I feel like we've only just scratched the surface, but we, yeah, you know, you can't not talk about uh, the ending because, you know, it. it's how bleak can you get? It's just yeah. <laughs> two guys sitting out there who are probably going to die. In fact, you know, what else can happen?
0: Yeah, again, it goes back to the theme of of people not trusting each other. Uh, That MacReady manages to kill the alien, or so we think. Um, And for for quite a while, Keith Davis' character, Charles, disappears. We Mm. don't know what's happened to him. He's run off somewhere. At the end of the movie, you know, MacReady is there. He's worn out completely, and Charles comes back. So it's just the two of them. These are the only two survivors. MacReady is wondering, well, where has Charles been? And Charles says, well, I, I thought I saw Blair out in the snow. That's the character that Wilford Brimley plays. So I, I, I you know, went after him. But we don't know. We no. we honestly don't know for sure. I, I think we, we, we probably feel at that point that MacReady is not an alien. But we don't really know about Charles. So it's just two men sitting there. Neither of them trust each other. Drinking a bottle of scotch. Chances are they will die there. They will freeze to death. And this is what going back to hopelessness, the idea that, that ultimately not everything can be tied up with a happy ending. You know, not everybody can get on the helicopter or the airplane and get away. Sometimes there really is no hope left. You just have to. Well, you can sit and hope. And in fact, that's what they say. You know, we'll, we'll just sit here for a while. I think they both know at that point that there's no real chance of getting out of this. Um, I think it's a powerful ending. I really do.
2: It
1: is. You know, if the thing doesn't get them, then the weather's gonna get them. There's just nothing they can do about it. So what's the point in, you know, getting upset? You sit down, take a slug of whiskey and just let's sit here for a while. Perfect.
0: If it was me and you, Tom, we'd just sit there and talk about horror movies until we die, wouldn't we? <laughs> I think that's what we would be. Just drink a bit of scotch and just well, let's have a talk about the Evil Dead series and uh await our deaths. But yeah, it's it's um it's a powerful and that's where it ends and it it goes back into that as the credit sequence comes up it goes back into that sort of powerful quiet synth um the ennio morricone score and it, it just um by the end of it i think you're left breathless it's a slow burning movie i'd say that hmm. Uh but I, I never get bored of it um it, it's not it's it's not too long and um yeah, I think it along the way it touches on every everything I love about horror movies. Everything that made me a fanboy of horror is 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 in this.
1: It's worth mentioning. I mean, it's in the facts and trivia that this does not stand alone. There are various offshoots and in itself it is a remake of The Thing from Another World. Have have you seen The Thing from Another World?
0: I have not.
1: No, neither have I, and I haven't read Who Goes There, so that's the end of that bit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it, apparently this is a more faithful a- adaptation of the of that if that was the original novella Who Goes There. But no, I've never seen it. I've always wanted to see it. Um, and in fact, I I think it's available as like a double pack or something. Um, where well, you can get it, or well, certainly it's available on on. I think it's available on Blu-ray actually. Uh, but I'm I'm not. Certain of that, but no, never seen it. Um, it'd be interesting to go back just to compare it, but uh, I've not made the effort to do so, to be honest.
1: It would, it would. I've never seen it teamed up with the thing, uh, I imagine it probably is, but I have when I bought my Blu ray. Um, I did get it with the controversial thing prequel. Have you seen that? Uh,
0: I haven't seen it. Um, I don't have no interest in it, to be honest. I mean. I mean, I, I suppose I would see it if, if it was placed in front of me, but, it, I you know, I heard that they were... First of all, I heard that they were remaking the movie, and immediately I was like, well, I don't... Why? It, you know, I suppose we say that for most remakes. You know, I'm not sort of militantly against it as I was years ago. I was really against remakes for a long time. Now I sort of realise that they're, they're a part of it, they're a part of the film industry, they make money, people are going to do them. Uh, some, some of them will be done well, a lot of them won't be. Um, then I heard that that the new version of the thing was actually a prequel, and mm. it was going to explore the Norwegian story and the Norwegian research station. And I sort of feel like in in this movie uh, that I know I, I kind of know enough about it. Really, I, I sort of feel like through what we learn of of what the survivors are trying to do at the beginning of the movie, which is kill the dog. Obviously, you know, you as you you're learning later on that the reason they're trying to kill this dog is to prevent this alien from living on and mm-hmm. killing other people. Um, so, no, I, I, I'm rambling about it, but no, I didn't see that. Did you see it?
1: Well, yeah. Well, when I got those the two together, I, I watched it. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember it, to be honest. It, it's completely evaporated from my head. I mean, I've read a lot of very scathing things about it online, which, you know, if you if you're going to dip your toe into the sort of waters of a classic, then you're gonna, you're gonna get that backlash. It's nowhere. It's no. It can't touch the thing. It just can't. Yeah. But I don't remember being horrified by it. I, I, I think I came away thinking that was all right, you know. But there was, there was an issue of they did use CG, and when you're, when you're making a, a prequel to. What is you know everyone talks about effects with the thing you know practical yeah. effects, and I'm I'm fine with CG. I, like we said before, it's it can be very useful, but it it was quite obvious at times, and it took away from you know this being part of the same universe, and you you've got this beautiful young woman there as well, which okay I'm I'm not I don't know I don't want to get into gender politics, but. There was just a feeling that she was put in there kind of to appeal to a modern audience. And there was a character in there who was very MacReady-esque, you know, in his look. Yeah. And it's like, well, what are you doing that for, you know? So I'd like to watch it again, to be honest, to to try and get a better handle on it and probably do, you know, watch the two together. I think it'd be quite an interesting exercise. So, you know, the jury's still out on that one when we watch extra two and three, we'll also watch the thing. <laughs> yeah, we'll Prequel. Comment,
0: comment on that and see how the story continues. I mean, you know, for me, what I've heard about the new one is that some, for some reason there are American um, scientists who have joined the Norwegian base. I don't remember that being the case in the original. So it feels to me like they've obviously done that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is, is the actress who I, I like very much. But um, but I feel like they put, put there in there as a sort of Ripley-esque character and um yeah and it, i think that the thing that i like about kurt russell is that he's not an obvious hero he's just a, a very level headed guy and um so yeah but, but you know i may come across it at some point and, and watch it the, the thing that's really interesting to me is there was a there was a, a video game sequel that was released in 2002 it was called the thing as well and it was released on pc playstation 2 and xbox and apparently carpenter was so impressed by the game that he considers it to be the official sequel to the film a continuation of the story featured here um now in the, i don't know you may not choose not to consider it canon um but in the game it transpires that actually not, neither of them were an alien um, mm. i'm talking about charles and mccready at the end um charles freezes to death mccready is nowhere to be found And so you're playing... I guess you're playing as scientists who've come to the research base to see what's happened there. And then, obviously, you're you're encountering the alien. And apparently, at the end of the game, McCready is actually the one flying the helicopter at the end. So he survived, and he's helping the player escape. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So, and Carpenter, you know, seems to feel that that is sort of... If he was ever going to make a sequel, that would sort of be where he would go with it. So um, I never played that. I didn't even know about it until... You know, we were in the next generation of consoles, the Xbox 360 and the PS3, and I never went back. But um, I kind of want to play that, but I can't. I've got no means to do it, but um, <laughs> but uh, it sounds great.
1: You could probably get it on the PC still, but there's all kinds of issues when you try and play old games on new PCs these days. I can't be bothered with it, to be honest. It's too much <laughs> like hard work, but, you know, I, I kind of want to play it myself.
0: So we've got a bit more trivia here, and then we'll... we'll, we'll uh finish off on this movie uh, The Thing was of course a remake of 1951's The Thing from Another World uh, interesting thing here uh, apparently uh, John Carpenter considers this his favourite of all these movies um, I, don't blame him for that uh, he was disappointed to learn that Christi- uh, Christian Nyby who directed The Thing from Another World was actually dismissive of this film um, did not like it uh, but you know who knows dif- he directed it in 1951 different sensibilities you know perhaps definitely he, Perhaps he didn't like the fact that the film is, is you know so very much more violent and gory. Um, I mentioned the, uh, the dog thing was created by Stan Winston. He refused credit for the effect. He didn't want to overshadow Rob Bottin's work on the picture, which I think is a, cl- a very classy move of him. Uh, mm. Stan Winston, one of the great legends. Um, yeah, this was the first of Carpenter's films for which he did not compose a score. Uh, he offered it to Jerry Goldsmith, who turned the job offer down. I bet he regrets that. Um, but instead, Ennio Morricone... Uh, composed the music for it like we were saying earlier on i think it's a very carpenter-esque score actually it's sort of very quiet and and bleak very effective though very atmospheric yeah um the film was considered considered a box office bomb unbelievably uh when it was released uh which carmen put down to et the extraterrestrial being released a few weeks earlier I mean, people were simply enamored with the happy cute little alien and i was too uh i didn't find any interest in something darker um of course the film went on to have a massive cult fan base later on um interestingly the film opened on the same day as ridley scott's blade runner another favorite of mine which was uh another film that wasn't received too well upon initial re- release but is now considered a classic as well so you know th- in, within the same year you had et uh, the thing and blade runner which is three science fiction classics aren't they
1: they are but i know what i'd return to to be honest i've never had a i liked dt e. at the time but i wouldn't watch it now to be honest I, I have really no interest in it it'll be the thing and blade runner for me
0: yeah oh, absolutely i mean they suit my uh you know when well, i'm looking for a very moody you know blade runner's more of a noir i suppose and definitely mm. you know no horror in there but um horrific circumstances possibly but um yeah both both great classic films aren't they okay
1: well i think we can uh, put the thing to bed now uh not literally that would probably turn out not very well
0: yeah, in fact that's what they should do for the sequel mate they should um they should have macready there with his big great long beard tucking in a little baby alien with his tentacles poking out put a little dummy in its mouth some soothing nighttime music and he can sit by the bedside there and read a lovely book perhaps read the original novella who goes there
1: everything comes full circle
0: it really does doesn't it i think why aren't we in the film business tom we have we have amazing ideas that would change the industry
1: (laughs) yes it certainly would change the industry if we made the thing two (laughs) like that (laughs) (laughs)
0: it really would there won't be any horror in it it'll just be an alien sleeping yeah and kurt russell reading a book
1: yeah sounds good to me okay should we get to some feedback
0: Yes, let's do it. We have now, folks, if this is your least favorite part of the show, (laughs) you better be prepared because we're going to be quite a while with this. We've got a a lot of feedback. We've got some audio feedback and we've got some emails to read. So, you know, stick with us. So let's begin with an email from our old friend, Seth McKevlin. Tom, do you want to read this one? Cool.
1: Yeah, I will. It says, hi, Chris and Tom. I'll start off my feedback by answering a question you had about my previous feedback. I said that I don't like whodunit slashes and you were curious to know why. I'm fine with an unseen killer whose identity is revealed or not at the end of a film. I guess my pet peeve about many that I've seen is that the movie doesn't so much tell a story of a killer or victims but spends most of the time following red herrings. Fair point. My feeling is I get it. This person isn't a killer, but you want me to think they are. Can we move on to the real story? I guess most people find this red herring business fun, but it just annoys me. Well, fuck you then. I'm sure, like most things, my tastes will change in time. But that's what I meant by my comment. Since you guys mentioned that I'm probably missing out on some great jellos with this attitude, I want to add that I love jello soundtracks, but I have to confess that I haven't seen many of the movies they're from. This is the thing, Seth. Um, I'll be the first to say, I, I love Italian movies from that period. I love many giallos. But I find some of them to be boring as hell as well. There there are some that are considered classics that I, you know, maybe this will come out down the line, but that I find to be quite dull. Um, so, it, you know, maybe there's some that you will like, but it, it can be a bit hit and miss, can't it?
0: Oh, what's wrong with you both? <laughs> God damn! Take a chill pill, Jesus Christ. Now, um, it is true, isn't it? I mean, the thing about Gialli in general is that they they tend to be, um, they can vary wildly in terms of their pacing. Mm. Um, you were mentioning there that that so, sorry to go off on a tangent here. We don't want to keep this feedback section too long. But you said a couple of classics that you find dull. You have to name one now, Tom. Uh, oh
1: man, I'm going to get hate mail after this, but. I'm not a fan of Argento's Animal Trilogy, okay? I'm just putting it out there. I'm just not a fan. For me, Argento begins with deep red. So so there you go.
0: Well, Tom, for me, Argento began in his mother's belly. And I uh, <laughs> just... Take that, I don't <laughs> know what I'm talking about.
1: <clears throat> well, if you put it that way, then I would probably have to agree. But uh, anyway, yeah. Seth... Seth goes on to say, I'm a nut for soundtracks. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Seth goes on to say, I'm a nut for soundtracks, as I think most of us are. Speaking of which, Tom, you mentioned the Christmas Evil soundtrack was released on vinyl and that he wasn't much interested in it. I have to say that I was one of those expecting something different from that movie and probably need to watch it again without those expectations. But I have to say that what I enjoyed most about it was its soundtrack. Since I have a penchant for experimental synthesizer stuff, it was not unlike what I usually listen to or play on my own synthesizers. Oh, Seth, you'll have to send us in a little bit of synth, mate. We'll play it.
0: You stupid boy. <laughs> no, I, actually, I have to say, I went back and re-watched Christmas Evil after we recorded the last show. And I remembered that we discussed the music and I said, well, it wasn't particularly memorable. And actually, the music stood out to me more. When I rewatched really mm. it, there are some some nice little motifs and things in there that I enjoy. Um, you know, the 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 scene at the end where he's flying off into the sky. That yeah. piece of sort of synthesizer music there, I actually really like that. So I've kind of changed my mind on that a bit. I, again, I don't know if I would buy it on vinyl. I don't have a I don't have a record player for one, but um, but. Uh, yeah, I I've warmed up to it a bit actually since the last show, which is I mean I already love that movie, so it, it was sort of it was nice to go into it thinking, Oh, I don't really remember the music standing out and finding that it actually did again once I was focused mm. on it. So anyway, carry on, old boy.
1: Okay, he says this week's movies, I think you guys found another gem in extra. I'd never seen this before, but I really liked it.
4: That's good.
1: I think Tom said something before on the show regarding horror movies, saying that if they can't be suspenseful or scary, they should be fun or gory. I agree, but I'll also add that if something can't be good, it should be weird, and that's enough to hold my attention. This movie had weirdness in spades, and it had the lovely Annalise character. If I were a dwarf clown, my hammer would never go soft for hair. You're talking about his knob, of course okay what more can be said about the thing are we talking about this knob again Uh, carpenter is a master of suspense and atmosphere i would like to note that this is his only classic film that doesn't feature an original score by carpenter himself morricone is no slouch and there are still some characteristic carpenter synths sprinkled in but i'll always wonder what it would have been like had he written a complete score for it I really enjoyed the use of dogs in the film too, I love dogs, and seeing the alien dog freak out the regular dogs was very disturbing the first time I saw it. Finally, I want to comment on Chris's reaction to the criticism he mentioned on the last show. I'm a listener to the Twilight Zone podcast and the Video Nasties podcast. When I heard about the launch of Strange and Deadly, I was excited to have Tom's presence back as he was gone at the time. As you know, the Twilight Zone podcast and the Video Nasties podcast are devoid of humour, And I was expecting that from The Strange and Deadly, which is fine. I was delighted to hear The Strange and Deadly show's first episode open with a joke from Chris about Tom's old porno tapes. (laughs) I knew this was going to be a different type of show and one that was right in line with my sense of humour. Chris went on to say that he and Tom were metaphorically just two guys wanking in a cinema. That's right. It is.
0: I still agree with that metaphor.
1: Yes, I'm surprised it's not an our cover art, to be honest.
0: No, but... I've almost finished as well, Tom, the blinking. <laughs> sorry, <anyway.
1: laughs> There's a lot of movies to go yet, mate. you, you got to hold on, hold on. Think What's well, uh... very
0: difficult is I've got blue balls. It's very, very difficult. It's beginning to hurt. Okay. <laughs> <gasps> can't believe I just said that.
1: That line had me laughing out loud. I also want to add the running joke about Chris Brown is also hilarious. Thief. And I hope he doesn't mind. What I'm trying to say is that if it were just Tom's new show, I would listen and enjoy it. But because Chris and his humour are part of the show, I love it. You guys have a winning formula. Tom is the class and Chris is the ass. Stay strange and deadly, Seth right, in right. Texas.
0: Right, that's a that's a bit of a backwards compliment, isn't it? <laughs> Tom is the class and Chris is the ass?
1: Well, you built up all that goodwill and then just blew it at the end.
0: Yeah, well, thanks, thanks, Seth, I guess. no um no thank you very much i I really appreciate that apart from being called an ass i really appreciate everything you said and you know it was just a um i just want to say that um it, it was never meant to be you know me pointing out you know sort of trying to discredit somebody else's opinion um i just wanted to sort of explain why i have the humor i do and uh yeah it's not gonna go away it's part of me part of who i am but i do hope that um you see some intellect in some of the things I say, but yeah, we are quite different to each other in terms of how we broadcast. And what I, I quite like is that you know Tom is doing his Twilight Zone podcast, which is a, a very very different sort of feel to this. And I've got my own thing lined up that I'm going to do this year, which is not going to interfere with Strange and Deadly. That's still our main thing, but um, it I've got something else that again will just be fully me, and it won't be you know restrained or anything. Um, so God help us god help you all you know you never know i might get a couple of listeners for it. i don't think i'll get many but um but yeah no thank you i really appreciate that and uh, you know and thank you for writing the email as well it's always lovely to hear from you and um you clearly liked extra more than we did so um hey one thing i like about this show is if we the people who are watching along with us even if we don't like a film if they get to discover something that they really love that's great
1: absolutely so another friend of the show the bye guy (laughs) Sent his email as well, didn't he?
0: That's right. Uh, Tom greatly offended this person. No, he didn't really. He's a good guy. Uh, Yes, Neil Tidbury um he's written an email to us and i'm gonna read it now it says oh hoy hoy gents despite being featured in your inaugural gag reel i still thought i'd drop you a quick missive re this fortnight's films uh the thing just genius hopefully you guys can be slightly more erudite um well we tried but it's quite difficult isn't it because there's so much to say about the thing that we we sort of as we're recording this we feel a bit lost because we just don't know what what can we say about a movie that's you know pretty much perfect um extra i would have sworn i'd seen this but having just watched the trailer apparently i haven't but having now watched the trailer i feel i kind of have to watch it as it looks utterly insane i'm interested to hear your thoughts we'll try and view and maybe give some more constructive feedback next time anywho trust the festive must break treated you both well and here's to a great year of section three silliness cheers neil from brighton ps which has no bearing on my now suspect sexuality well that was tom wasn't it who said that I, I i'm not a non-judgmental person pps tom's voice is dreamy isn't it ppps bugger so i think um because of what you said on the last show tom he's realized something about himself which is we've changed a life we've, we've made somebody discover that there's there's something more to him that he didn't know was there good
1: well, i'm glad we could do that for you neil
0: yeah, if you feel like calling out anyone else, Tom, who might be in the closet, you know, do let me know ahead of time.
1: Okay, we'll do. If anyone's wondering what we're talking about, um there are bloopers after the closing music. So if you go back to the last episode then uh, you will know what we're talking about
0: it's funny you know we, we actually have never on any of these shows even referenced the bloopers um, <laughs> i don't think but yes there are in case you guys don't know apart from on the first show which we we didn't have the idea at that point every show from the second one onwards has bloopers at the end of it now that that's not always an absolute guarantee if we have managed to make it through a show without screwing up or anything there probably won't be but um we haven't managed that so far, have we, Tom? We've managed to fuck up on everything at some point.
1: Yeah, there's always something.
0: Yeah, but if you listen after the closing music, there's always some bloopers on there um, for you to enjoy. Now, we have uh, a little bit more feedback, and then we'll we'll get out of here. Uh, we have some audio feedback. Now, we begin with some feedback from, uh, I think, one of the best podcasters going. Uh, it's a man named Jim Moon, Hypnogoria. And uh, yeah, I've been a long time uh, fan of this guy and I believe you have as well, Tom.
1: I'm, I'm glad you said that because I was going to say, you know, something along the same lines. I mean, we know quite a few podcasters, don't we? We know a lot of great podcasters, but there are some who I think, and I, I can count them on one hand, um, really transcend, you know, what most people do with a podcast and really do something special. Yeah. and. Jim Moon is one of those people for me. He's he's the best.
4: Yeah,
0: I would say so. I mean he and he's got that voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean when when he sent this feedback in, I listened to that voice and then I listened back to my own voice and I thought no, no this is this is not He's <laughs> <Here's> a re- <laughs> this man is a real podcaster and I'm just a squeaky fool, but he he really is. And the fact that he listens to us is is a bit it makes me it's a bit daunting to me. It's a bit There's a bit of pressure there, because I want to be great, just so I can at least live in the shadow of Mr. Jim Moon. Anyway, he sent some feedback. Now, he actually sent this, um, he he meant it uh, to be played on the last show that we recorded. Unfortunately, he sent it just a couple of days after we we recorded it, so we couldn't fit it in. But um, but here's Jim Moon talking about uh, Christmas Evil, and what the hell was the other film? Uh, Happy Birthday to Me.
2: Greetings, gentlemen. And may I say how absolutely wonderful it is to have the pair of you back on the air again, but also teamed up in a grand classic horror podcast crossover kind of special kind of thing. Do we get a free gift? A little bit of plastic tat we can throw around and lose down the back of the sofa? Please say we do. Anyhow, absolutely loving the show, even though it is leading me to watch some very, very bad old movies. However, I have to chime in and uh, come down on Tom's side, I really enjoyed the ridiculous 80s rock stylings of felony. However, on to your recent brace of movies. Uh, Christmas Evil, I discovered only a few years ago. I've never really had too much time for the whole Killer Santa routine, mainly because most of the Killer Santa movies I've seen have been appalling. Yes, Silent Night, Deadly Night, I'm looking at you. However, Christmas Evil, I feel, has been somewhat uh, much maligned over the years. As a killer Santa flick, it really isn't a Saint Nick slasher at all. It's kind of the taxi driver of bad Santa movies. It is a portrait of a man's nervous breakdown as he embraces both psychosis and becoming Santa Claus. It's wonderfully blackly comic. It's actually genuinely weirdly heartwarming in a bizarre kind of way and has a nice grimy, authentic grindhouse feel, and a genuine weirdness to it. Yes, it does lag in places, but, you know, that was 70s filmmaking for you, and now it is a regular part of my festive viewing. And yes, I am so sick and twisted that I, for one, choose to believe that, at the very end, that van does really fly away. And you can call me an old sentimentalist, and I don't care. Now, on the other hand, Happy Birthday to Me, I'd not seen until I tracked it down for this show. I'd largely avoided it, mainly because I'd got a thumbnail review back in the day from a friend in the schoolyard. He said, oh, it's, uh, it's really, really sick. It's, it's about this girl who just kills all her friends and has a birthday party with her corpses. I thought, cheers, well, I don't need to see that then. That doesn't sound very interesting. So I didn't really bother. However, actually on watching it, I've got to say, I was really, really impressed by this movie. You've got several elements that really uh, mark it out from your standard low-budget slasher. Some good cast stunts for a start. But uh, also, I felt this isn't so much drawing on Halloween or Friday the 13th, but this is very clearly an American attempt at Jalo. We've got black-gloved killer, murder set-pieces, a heroine of dubious sanity, and, of course, an absolutely mental whodunit plot with a twist ending in true giallo fashion that is as outrageous as it is unexpected. On the whole, I was terrifically impressed by this movie. Again, I think this is being done a great disservice by being just lumped in with all the other Friday the 13th knockoffs. offs Well, Happy Birthday to Me has something genuinely weird and compelling about it, and I had an absolute blast watching it. Thank you, chaps, for spurring me to finally track it down. And so I look forward to making future discoveries in your company. And wish you both a very merry Christmas.
1: Excellent. Thanks for that, Jim. We uh, appreciate you taking the time to send some feedback in. Now, a couple of things there that I find quite interesting. First of all, another vote for Gangsters of Rock. Mm. <laughs> mm. Secondly, uh, he compares happy birthday to me to a uh, giallo. I think we touched on it to a degree last time. Yeah. Um, we did. But he's not wrong. He's not wrong. A bonkers plot, you know, gloved killer. Uh he's he's onto something there, isn't he?
0: yeah I mean a lot of you know a lot of the, of, uh, the giallos that I've seen over the years and I've seen a lot of them I'm a big fan of giallos even though a lot of them are nonsensical
4: mm. um,
0: and I feel like happy birthday to me has got a bit of that hasn't it it's quite choppy and messy and a lot of giallos are like that
1: I, I do wonder sometimes whether we give the Italian stuff a bit of a pass because it is what it is we yep. expect it to be a bit crazy and a bit more um, nonsensical in some ways and not so linear a lot of the time but we expect our homegrown movies to be a well if you live in america it's homegrown but we expect those to be to actually make a bit more sense so i don't know but uh it's it's a good point i'm still not that keen on the film but a good point there yeah absolutely and uh he's another another fan of christmas Evil as well so thanks for that jim i hope we hear from you again it's it's good to get your thoughts on these films
0: yeah, it's fantastic. The fact that you're even listening to us is uh, is quite an honour. So, um, and I have to say, if you haven't checked out any of Jim Moon's stuff, uh, Hypnogoria is his name on Twitter. I think it's spelled H Y P N O G O R I A. Hypnogoria, check him out. Uh, check it out, boy. Uh, check him out and see what he's up to because he's uh, yeah, he's a legend.
1: He is. He is. Chris Ward has been a feedbacker to uh, to us for well for ages really he used to feed back to the gentleman's Grindhouse. house and he's back again but this time not in the email form
0: no he decided to uh, put his voice down in a recording for us so we can hear him for the very first time and um, it's you know it's a fairly lengthy clip but uh, have a listen to this and uh, we'll be back in just a moment here's Chris Ward
3: a la boys. Chris Ward, a.k.a. Horace Smith, here. As promised, I'm dropping you a little bit of audio feedback. Uh, I thought it only fair, seeing as though I've had to live with your voices for several years, and uh, you've never heard mine. Um, so that's a little bit of a treat for you. Anyway, um, congratulations on uh, Strange and Deadly show. I think it's absolutely awesome. It's so good to hear you guys back on the air. It's uh, uh, filled a hole in my life, anyway. And um, as long as you continue to fill my holes, I shall remain a happy little bunny um yeah last time i uh contacted you i think it was to do with your graduation day and final exam show so since then you've uh well, what have you done you've done pigs and brutes and savages um uh, yeah i do own a, own pigs but i've never actually got around to watching it um and i've got about 500 other films in a to watch pile queue ahead of that one uh but I will get to it um brutes and savages uh i'm personally i'm not into the uh the the mondo thing and all those sort of you know documenting all these things in other countries and then playing it off as uh entertainment and all that yeah, not really my sort of thing um if it lands in front of me, I'll watch it um but it's not something I'm actively gonna seek out so uh yeah, there we go um what did you do after that? You did the Christmas one, Christmas Evil and Happy Birthday to Me. Um, this is a Happy Birthday to Me. That's one of those films that I've known about for years and years and years and I've seen clips of it, um, but I've never actually sat and watched the thing from beginning to end. Um, I've got some slasher film documentaries, as as I think we all have, really. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've got some documentaries that uh, have got, like, endless clips from it and so i can sort of piece together the film but i've never really seen it so it wouldn't be that fair of me to sit here and say anything about it but christmas evil i have seen um yeah i think you guys nailed it spot on it's not a slasher film um even though that's probably what uh what the uh people making it wanted wanted you to think um it does make a nice little double bill with silent night deadly night i think um but yeah it's a there's a little bit more to it. It's more of a a thriller with a little bit of a character piece thrown in there, so I think you guys pretty much nailed that one um not a lot else I can say about it um yeah, there you go. I did review it. I did send you a link to my review of it on my blog, so uh, yeah, I think I pretty much put down near enough everything you guys said um. But your upcoming show, which I may be sending this in slightly too late for you to include, but you are doing the thing and extra. Uh, the thing is a film. I mean, I pretty much, I think I know what you guys are going to say about it because it's what everyone pretty much says about it. It's pretty peerless. Um, you know, I saw, I've seen the thing dozens and dozens of times on various uh, uh, VHS and DVD formats over the years, and I watched it once on Blu-ray. Uh, and I didn't really realise until my Blu-ray player broke how absolutely, what a crappy player it was because I bought a new player, put the thing in to watch again on Blu-ray and it was like watching it for the first time again Um, it's an amazing film, it really is an amazing film, it still stands up Um, you know, Kurt Russell's beard is amazing (laughs) and uh, you know, and the head with the legs that come out of it still creeps me out to this day Um, I I don't like anything with lots of legs you know when I watch Alien it's the facehuggers that scare me more than the actual Xenomorph, I get the feeling I could go toe to toe with a Xenomorph if I had to Um, but facehuggers just creep me the fuck out but uh, yeah the thing, it still holds up it's still amazing special effects masterpiece, it's still got tension it's still got character It's, uh, it's John Carpenter's uh masterpiece uh probably more so than halloween and uh yeah it's just such a great film so um don't you dare say otherwise otherwise it'll make me look pretty silly um not that i need you to make me look silly and then uh extro is a film that i do love probably more than anyone has a right to really but um i know you two guys haven't seen it or you might have seen it by the time you heard this but um yeah, out of all the alien knockoffs that came out in the early '80s, it's probably the best one. I think it is. It's got a. I'm not going to spoil it too much, but it's got a, an a, a brilliant birthing scene where a, a woman gives birth to a fully grown man, which is, uh, which is something you don't see every day. And uh, yeah, it's well, it's very Brit. Feels very British. Um, it's a little bit slow in places. It's a little bit. A little bit of a so-propery feel to some of the, the talky scenes, possibly. Um, but I think when it delivers, it delivers very well on the, on the alien stuff, on the gore stuff. Um, as I said to uh, the gore boy on Twitter, there is an uncut German version DVD, which I keep meaning to get hold of, but I never do because um, it's quite pricey, but I will get hold of it one day, because uh, apparently there's some alternative uh, endings and different scenes and bits of and bobs on there. Uh, and so It's one of those films that I saw back in the VHS days, was a sort of regular rental for me. And, uh, yeah, I've sort of watched it sort of every, uh, probably every couple of years since then, really, to be honest. Um, don't bother with the sequels. Sequels are shite. Um, Extra 2's got uh, Jan Michael Vincent in it. And uh, it really is uh, very poor indeed. Uh, Extra three, I don't even remember Extra three. I know I've seen it. I've got it somewhere, but um, it would probably make a good frisbee. To be honest, um, that's about as as good as it gets for that. Um, but yeah, hope you enjoy Extra As I uh, say, a lot of what I uh, think about it is uh, probably down to nostalgia more than uh, actually being a, a great film. But there are some really good moments. There is a bit of quality there, um, which I think. I think you guys will probably appreciate. Um, right, I'm going to shoot off now because talking to myself into a head into a microphone is weird and it's creeping me the fuck out. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, hearing where you guys go next. I especially look forward to that Texas Chainsaw Massacre show. I wonder what you're going to pair it up with, although I could probably take an intelligent guess. But, uh, yeah, cheers, guys. Bye. Right, so that was Chris
0: Ward. You can probably tell that he's a big fan of Extro. Um, and not a fan of the sequels, which Tom and I are going to check out uh, somewhat reluctantly, I think. But, um, but yes, it's nice to hear your voice, Chris, um, the first time we've heard that. And Chris is a uh, writer. He writes for um, for various websites, I believe. He um, writes about heavy metal, because uh, we're both big heavy metal fans. He uh, writes about horror movies. Yeah, he's a really good fan to have. Um, I'm glad you're enjoying what we're doing i'm glad that we're we're there for you in some capacity um certainly a pleasure to be podcasting again for me personally because i've not done it for a long time so um if we can lighten up your day that's that's brilliant stuff um yeah, Tom quite enthusiastic about extra wasn't he
1: he was he was good bit of fear. I do like to put a voice to people, you know because we we sit behind our microphones and it, emails are great I love them, and I don't want anyone to say to think i'm i'm not appreciative of them but um when someone puts their voice down, it, you know, it's it's that bit of connection there and it's always interesting. So thanks for that, Chris. Appreciate it, mate.
0: Yeah, gives a bit of colour to the uh, to the opinion, I think. Now, you may be wondering, folks at home, there's somebody missing this week. Uh, where, oh, where are you, Christopher Brown? Oh, where, oh, where could you be? Uh, he didn't he didn't show up this week, Tom. He uh, I say this week, but uh this month i should say um he didn't send us anything but um we know he's very busy at the moment he's got a lot of things on but yes this is the first episode without any audio feedback from chris brown perhaps he got sick of me making fun of him do you think that might be what it is probably well the former thief chris brown maybe somebody stole him
1: (laughs) (laughs) it could have happened do you reckon somebody
0: got so incensed by what chris brown did to our podcasting careers by stealing the Video Nasty's idea from us, right from underneath us, that they kidnapped him and they're keeping him in a basement somewhere, like tied to a radiator or something.
1: It could be. It could be Seth McKelvin or Neil it Tidbury. Chris the Uh It could be any of them. So this is a little appeal. If you're holding Chris Brown out there, then please just keep hold of him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We don't want him back. So... uh Keep hold of him, feed him well, you know, don't don't torture him, don't starve him, but um, make sure that he can never, ever uh, rejoin society again. Thank you very much. And indeed, that is the end of our show. So hey, we did come back, we're still alive, we're still here. We're sorry for the delay, but um, we hope the wait was worth it. We just covered two films, very different in terms of quality, but all under the, uh, the branding of uh, an alien theme. Uh, On the next episode, two weeks from now, we're back on our regular schedule. Uh, What have we got in store for them, Tom?
1: Well, this is... I'm quite looking forward to this one. Not because I'm a giant pervert or anything, but...
0: Mm, Debatable. I
1: I, I do like Pam Grier and the movies she made back in this time, so it's sort of like a kick-ass women double bill, is how we've christened it. We've got Foxy Brown, the famous Pam Grier film, and we also have a film called... Is it Naked Fist? Yes. I've never seen that one. I, I think it's known as Firecracker in the US. But, you know, I I kind of like the the female kicking ass sub, subgenre. So this will be quite interesting.
0: Yeah, uh, we're going completely away from horror for this one. And uh, also, I haven't seen either film. So it's going to be an interesting experience for me. I've, of course, heard loads and loads about Foxy Brown. Foxy Brown was a Jack Hill film, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah, see, I actually... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I watched Spider Baby for the first time, which was a Jack Keel film, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and at some point, he sort of got into the uh, the exploitation thing, and um, yeah. And so, I, I and Pam Grier, I think, is is terrific. Always a terrific presence. I remember it very well in Jackie Brown. So yeah I'm looking forward to it completely different sort of theme for us on the next episode kick ass women it's Foxy Brown, Naked Fist also known as Firecracker and that will be with you in two weeks from the release of this episode
1: so if you want to feedback on either of those films you can email us at feedback at strangeanddeadly.com an email or an mp3 clip is great we have the twitter account strange deadly that you can get us on we both sort of jump in on that one or I'm Grindhouse Tom, and you are.
0: I am the Gore Boy, and you can also find me on Instagram. I open up an Instagram account, um, where I post you know, different, you know, Blu-rays I've received, different things like that. You can find me on Instagram.com forward slash the Chris Clayton.
1: Okay, there was one more thing you wanted to mention because the website. Our parent website, Gentleman's Grindhouse Records, is adding more and more podcasts to its roster all the time. Our friend Danny Davis has just added a a short comedy one there. Um, There's some old radio shows, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, There's obviously the Twilight Zone podcast, which I have released a couple of. But there's also something else coming as well, isn't there?
0: Yes, that's right. Uh, well, I've kind of mentioned it uh, earlier on in the show anyway, but just to give you the details on it, I'm shortly going to record an intro uh, track for the re-release of my old show, Gore Boy Radio. Now, unfortunately, it's not all the episodes. These were sort of unearthed by Tom. Uh, they were lost for many, many years. I could I completely lost all my backups of them. Um, I wanted to re-release them for a while. Tom managed to unearth a good chunk of them. There's a, a bunch missing. Um, what I'm going to do is put them out exactly as they were i'm not making any changes to them i haven't even listened to them to be honest with you because there's a, there's many many hours of stuff in there and i, I yeah you know, i can't sift through all that again it's probably got references to old people i used to know old girlfriends you know these are podcasts that were made i don't know six six nearly seven years ago now mm-hmm. so um so that's going to be coming out very soon on Gentleman's grindhouse records you'll be able to subscribe to it on itunes all the rest of it that's coming out under the under that banner, it's called Gore Boy Radio Golden Oldies and I have to say, um, it's been, the artwork has been done by Darkin One of course, who does the artwork for, for Strange and Deadly It's done a tremendous job on it, I mean this guy does this stuff for free and the work that he does is is mightily impressive so I have to thank him very much for that um he's done a stellar job with that so that's going to be coming very soon indeed i really have to get off me bottom and record an intro for that just to explain to you the history of it and then so if any of you guys are interested in what i do you can hear me sounding even squeakier uh five or six years younger um six or seven actually uh on my old show Boy radio golden oldies so that's coming soon there's also going to be another podcast i'm doing this year again i mentioned that before not going to reveal it just yet but it's something completely different to this um, a different genre of films entirely, actually. And um, that may come out under the Gentleman's Grindhouse records thing as well, putting Tom on the spot there. But um, it seems like the most natural place to put it, I would say.
1: Absolutely. It'd be good to have it.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Um. Yeah, so that will be coming out later this year. Again, not something that's going to mess with Strange and Deadly. That's my thing, but it'll just be a little sort of brief thing. That I do. Um, I also have to thank, by the way. I keep forgetting to do this every every time we record this. I have to thank Danny Davis. You mentioned him before with his comedy podcast. Um, he did the music for for our show, the intro and the outro music, and really did a splendid job. And he's a lovely chap as well. And um, mm. I just feel like because it's been a while for the first episode, really, since we thanked him. We just have to thank him again because the the great music we have on here is all thanks to him. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, we just sit here talking shit about films. And we've got the likes of Danny Davis doing great music, Dark Ink One, making us look good with the artwork. So, yeah. you know, we're very lucky.
0: Yeah, we really are. We've got some great talented people involved with this. And then there's just us, who's <laughs> uh, just useless, two big fatty lumps of crap. Uh, oh, I described us there in a in a rather negative way, didn't I? Shouldn't have done that. No, actually, <laughs> we're both wildly talented people, arguably the two best podcasters in the world next to Jim Moon
1: yes okay i think that's us for this week
0: yes i burnt myself out talking rubbish tom so um, i'm ready to have a lie down thank you very much everybody for listening to us for waiting for a new episode don't worry we're back on the fortnightly schedule now so uh two weeks from now after you receive this episode you'll have another one waiting for you and uh, like i said it's kick-ass women guys take care we hope you had a lovely christmas you're enjoying the new year so far and um, we hope you enjoy this episode please write to us feedbackstrangeanddeadly.com. And, um, yes, until you hear from us next time, bye for now. Bye. Extra opens with a family of three enjoying life at their getaway cottage. Rachel, played by, by blah 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 blah, I'm going to start that again. Uh, da, 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 da. I'm just realising, did I get the name wrong for Tony? For the actor who plays Tony? I don't know. Uh, oh, I don't suppose it matters, does it? No, no one gives a shit. <laughs> it's a, it's a shit actor anyway. <laughs> uh, <coughs> Anywho, trust the fest festivemus Anywho, trust the festivemus Break, tra- break. Uh, uh, sound a bit like the cowardly lion there from the Wizard of Oz. Brrr. Anywho, trust the fest. Oh God, why didn't he just say Christmas? <laughs> God damn. Anywho, trust the festivemus <laughs> Oh, dear.
1: Neil. Festiveness. Festiveness.
0: He's going to make it into the outtakes again. Festiveness. Mm. You twat.
4: <laughs>
0: and um, we hope you enjoy this episode. Please write to us. Feedback, Strangedanddeadly.com And, um, yes, until you hear from us next time, bye for now.
1: Bye. There, you ah, go. there we go.